You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Live from the Sixth and Peabody Studio and across the Outkick Network. This is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton and Chad Withrow. Just like that, second hour is here. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick Network. Yeehaw beer, old smoky moonshine. Making it happen for us here at Sixth and Peabody. Coming up, we go through the top matchups across the NFL. Some good ones this week. Maybe not as stacked as a week ago, but I mean, we we had several others. We don't really do our top five. We've had several other candidates, Chad, this week, and um, looking forward to, to diving in. We'll have the NFL injury report a bit later. Uh, plus, in our 360 headlines, Ohio State beats Rutgers on a buzzer beater, but wait until you see how it all unfolded uh, last night. Hit us up uh, in the chat, Outkick360, and um, you can join Chad in the chat. I'm in there. I am in the chat right now. Some good stuff being fired back and forth. One of the uh, one of the more intriguing matchups for me, Giants Eagles, and it's because of now you know the Giants have Philly, and then they'll turn around and play the Commanders. And the thought is, and we'll preview this more uh, in, in, a, in a bit. The thought is that the the Cowboys can't catch Philly by the time they actually will face each other, where they could potentially be tied with well same record going into the final couple weeks of the season. Um, but if the Giants were to play like they have through the first half of the season, who knows? Against Philly. Yeah, I think there's, um, you know, who's... There's, it's a uh, seven-point spread. Of the pleasant surprises early in the year, who's going to be the one that's still there the last week of the regular season? Yeah, Giants or Jets, right? That, yeah, I think that's, that's going to be an interesting fight to the end of the season. Aaron Torres joins us. Uh, from Fox Sports Radio, covering uh, football and, uh, of course, college hoops. Aaron, good to hear from you, man. Thanks for joining the show. Hope you're well. I am very well. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. I, I know uh, Houston sits atop the country now, the top 25. Are they the best college basketball team currently, in your eyes? So, so you're probably asking the wrong guy because I'm a UConn alum, <laughs> and UConn is destroying everyone right now. And so I'm trying not to do the homer were definitively the best team. And, you know, what I would say really quickly on them is that, you know, they're not only 10 and 0, but, but 10, 10 wins by double figures of the last, all, all the last five were either were against power conference teams and four of them were either on neutral or a true road game, like on Wednesday night against Florida. So, you know, I think, I think UConn's probably putting together the nicest resume as of right now. But listen, I think we're going to learn a lot about uh, about Houston tomorrow. Obviously, hosting Alabama, and uh, they're they're one. You know, they didn't really play like a marquee kind of Thanksgiving event, and so because of it, I think we're going to learn a lot tomorrow. What is Arkansas now after their big loss from an injury standpoint moving forward? When you look at that Razorbacks team, I know you've been high on them for a while under Eric Musselman. 
So they're wild. You know, I was actually on Arkansas radio. And by the way, if I keep peeking, I apologize. There's a, uh, do we have a, did something happen in the world cup game? My wife just texted me. I don't know if you guys have, oh, an, I'll have check it for you right now. We, we don't have it in no, front of us okay. here. We'll, we'll look no, I got it. You. it. It was in extra time and Argentina was up two to one. I really don't care that much, but she was just texting me. So anyway, so I'm being a terrible guest right now, but, um, so with Arkansas, it's wild because they're one of the few schools like, you know, and, and I know this is a big conversation in football right now, too, with the transfer portal. And in basketball, you know, coaches have really kind of been hesitant to kind of load their roster with, with the full 13 scholarships because they just think in the transfer portal world, we're not going to be able to keep all these guys happy. And we need to go ahead and, you know, probably have, you know, 10, maybe 11 guys on scholarship. And so I bring it up with the Arkansas situation because Eric Musselman was one in the summer in the portal. He already had a top five, uh, top two recruiting class, excuse me, coming in. They had the second ranked recruiting class behind Duke. And he just said, I'm filling the holes that I think that I have. And so I bring it up because, you know, they're a team that probably has about four or five real front court players, most of which were added in the transfer portal. And the kid that they did lose, his name's Trevin Brazil, is a really good player, probably would have been a first-round pick if he had uh, played the entire season. But they're probably one of the few teams that can withstand that. And so I think it has to do with the recruiting. I think it has to do with their kind of aggressiveness in the transfer portal. And I just think it's one of those deals where, where a lot of schools, as I said, not willing to kind of fill out the full 13 scholarships in basketball. Arkansas did, and because of it, they will probably – uh, probably be okay despite this. This it, it is a pretty bad injury, but but I think they're one of the few teams that could probably survive. Aaron, here's your update. Uh, the Dutch scored a goal in extra time to tie it up against Argentina, oh, no. so it's two two. Oh wow! And I, is it okay, a final? Well, are they, what are they doing here? Oh, it's, oh, it's an extra time. Excuse me. So it's going to be. It's going there. Yeah. Uh, did they do it in the tenth minute of eleventh? Yes, well, the eleventh minute of extra time. Good lord! I'll tell you, I was uh, so I stopped to to grab a bite to eat. And it was in extra time. It was, I think Argentina was up probably two, nothing probably in like the 85th minute. And by the way, wow. I'm not a soccer person at all. So I'm just like talking out of my, oh, you know cool. what, but, uh, but, uh, no, they, uh, Netherlands tied it up right before extra, extra time. And there was 10 minutes of extra time, according to the TV. And I left to do this interview with about eight, eight minutes into extra time. And so when you get the WTF, uh, text from your wife, you know, something happened. So I figured, <laughs> It must be something to that effect. Uh, so I appreciate the update. I'm sure everybody listening does as well. You got it. We'll uh, we'll update you if anything changes as yes. well on that. Uh, Hutton's <laughs> got it up now, so we'll, we'll definitely have an update. Um, Kentucky. It's an annual rite yeah. of passage for John Calipari to warn all the fans that the team's not going to be any good at the start of the year. <laughs> but just hang with mm-hmm. us and stick with us because we're super talented. And as people start to gel and we start to define roles, this team will be fine once conference season rolls around. I think we're seeing more of that with this Kentucky team, but that was a big win over in London over Michigan to get the, really their first big win of the season. It's so weird because, you know, I think obviously, you know, somebody that covers all this stuff on a national scale, I think some fan bases get painted with a certain brush. And I think I under, like I, uh, again, I went to UConn. I have no affiliation with Kentucky. I mean, I did write a book like, like, like I understand the weird frustration of their fan base where you kind of, and I think most Kentucky fans are kind of in this world where we understand that there probably is nobody that could definitively do this job better. But also, 
when you see all of these teams, you know, Tennessee goes to the Bahamas and beats Kansas. Uh, Arkansas, we just talked about, is, is off to a good start. UConn's off to a good start. Whoever, fill in the blank. Alabama has had a couple good wins throughout the early part of the season. Like, Kentucky fans are like, okay, we get it. The recruiting's great. Um, but it's also like, can, can, why do we have to wait until February for this team to click every single year? And why do we have to go through the same song and dance? And so, you know, Chad, they did get a good win overseas. Uh, you know, they played a, a, a game in London against Michigan the other day. But that was really kind of weirdly their first kind of signature win of the season. And so, you know, they, they obviously they play Louisville later this month. That won't be a signature win, but at least it's a power conference team. And then I think it's UCLA that they play on a neutral court. But that Michigan game was like pretty important because if they don't win that one, I mean, you're talking about potentially going into SEC play with basically maybe only a win against Louisville and obviously non-Power 5, Power 6 in basketball teams. So I'm not ready to say anything definitive on Kentucky one way or the other. I get Kentucky fans' frustration. I also would sit there and say two-seed in the NCAA tournament last year. Obviously, 2021 was COVID year. 2020, they win the SEC regular season. So it's just every emotion that a Kentucky fan has, I kind of get right now. And um, we'll see if they kind of figure it out as time goes on here as we get closer to SEC play. We'll go back to the SEC here momentarily. But first, I want to ask you about North Carolina. Is there a reason to be worried if you're a Tar Heels fan right now? Or is this just an early season blip on the radar? They're going to figure it out. They're too talented and no need to panic at this point. Yeah, they're another one I'm very conflicted on because you could go in a lot of different directions. I mean, Last year, they start off really slow. They have a lot of bad losses early in the out-of-conference play. They get smoked by Tennessee, as an example, at the Mohegan Sun Tournament. They get smoked by Kentucky early in the season. And there, there were a couple other losses in there as well. And then they figure it out in March. And you kind of sit there and say, well, you know, if they figured it out in March, they return all these guys. NIL helped bring some veterans back. They're going to be really, really, really good. Um and they'll figure it out. And so to your question, Chad, it's like, so they're struggling and it's like, okay, so are they just a team, you know, kind of the Kentucky question a minute ago that, that isn't good out of the gate, but then it becomes like the secondary question of, you know, almost like was, was the tournament run last year a fluke? And, and, you know, I've been one of these people that, you know, they, they really, North Carolina specifically played pretty well, really probably the last two months of the season. I think a lot of people would remember they, they beat Duke at Cameron in Coach K's final regular season game. So there was kind of this like college basketball narrative in the offseason of, well, they just got hot in the tournament. They really didn't. They played well from really about February 1st on, really from about the first Duke game on. And so I only bring it up because I don't know if I know how to really feel about North Carolina because – I think there's probably a group of people that says they're re- they, they made a tournament run last year. It's North Carolina. They have talented players. They return a lot. They will be fine going forward. But then I also think there's a group of people that says they just got hot late in the season. And really, if you look at the totality of the season, they were a good but not great team. And so they're another one, Chad. Like, like I don't mean to be ducking all your guys' questions. I kind of ducked the, the Kentucky question. I kind of ducked the North Carolina question. I, I don't think that I really know how to feel about them because, again, I think there's two very strong opinions on that team right now, and I frankly kind of understand the opinion on both. Aaron Torres with us, Fox Sports Radio. What's wrong with Louisville? And tomorrow, yeah. 
Tomorrow, one win Florida State, winless Louisville will battle in Tallahassee. Who wins and why? Well, to your first question, it's kind of wild, right? Because, I mean, listen, you know, we live in a, a transfer portal world now, and I know it's something you guys have talked about on your show. It's something everybody is talking about in the college sports world. The two, three, four-year rebuild is a thing of the past, right? I mean, we saw what Brian Kelly did this year. We see what Sonny Dykes did. We saw what Lincoln Riley did on the football side. Basketball, you know, Eric Musselman was a guy that, you know, second year has Arkansas in the Elite Eight. Nate Oates wins an SEC championship in his second year. So I bring it up because Louisville is kind of a weird one because you hire Kenny Payne, not only because he's an alum, that's obviously the, the main reason, but he's also supposed to be this dynamic recruiter and – you know, when Kentucky's been struggling these last few years, people say, oh, it was all Kenny Payne. And ever since he left, it's never been the same. Well, he gets to Louisville. They just weren't very good in the portal this offseason. I mean, you know, from your guys' neck of the woods, Brandon Huntley Hatfield, who was kind of a, a fringe rotational player on the SEC tournament team last year, SEC tournament championship team last year, that was like their big pickup in the offseason. And, and I don't think that Rick Barnes lost a lot of sleep over losing Brandon Huntley Hatfield. And, no disrespect to him and you know whoever the people involved in his life, but so it's just it, why they're not good. They were a bad team last year. They lost a couple good players either to the portal, graduation, whatever. And then you bring in this guy that's supposed to be this dynamic recruiter, and he doesn't sign anybody of note. And so you know he he said throughout the offseason that there was some negative recruiting, but. I don't know how in a world where Arizona has been under a cloud of investigation, how Kansas has been under a cloud of investigation, obviously on the football side, coach O left things a mess at LSU, Brian Kelly. I never heard Brian Kelly use that as an excuse. Never heard Brian Kelly use negative recruiting as an excuse. So that's why they're so bad. Now I know sports gambling is legal in Tennessee, but if you're asking me to handicap the Florida state (laughs) Louisville game, if you want to put your hard-earned money on that, you know that that's your prerogative. But I'm not even going to try to speculate. I guess Florida State gets a little bit of an advantage because of the home court. But uh, and by the way, I don't think that's going to be a capacity crowd down there at uh, in, Florida, in uh, Tallahassee tomorrow. So be a hell of a broadcast on the ACC network, Chad. Oh, I, you can't can't wait when those two yeah. behemoths of the sport get together. It's going to it's going to be. I feel amazing. bad for the broadcast. I mean, yeah. they're going to have to. You know, you talk about vamping in the middle of the, the game. Like, I mean, you know, you try to put your ACC network. They got to put the best foot forward. The conference is great. That's, you know. The best the, the best part of their schedule is NC State at 8-2 and two, and then Miami at 9-1. and one. They are on the ACC Network Extra channel. I don't have – I mean, it's hard for me oh. to find ACC Network, period. I have no idea sure. with this. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you get that broadcast, you're feeling – decent you know you're gonna see a good game you can put out michaels on that game he's used to having to fake his <laughs> exactly. way through bad games you, yes. you can do that one yes. also. he doesn't fake it though he just tells it like it is yeah. i respect that he's, he's leaning in that into phase it. of his career you're right where he's just like you know what i mean amazon's paying me a lot of money i'm just gonna say whatever the heck i want i don't really care so hey aaron you mentioned that you, you're a yukon grad made me made me think of this it's not about yukon but it's about another team in that state we were looking at the the net rankings of all the teams across the country and i think Louisville was like three spots from the bottom, and the very bottom sure. was Hartford. Uh, and I, I remember well, talking about this. It is a crazy story what's going on at, at Hartford. Can you tell us the Hartford basketball story right now and how they lost their coach, I think, right as the season yeah. was starting? I mean, I can tell you the whole deal. So University of Hartford is actually in West Hartford. I could walk to their campus from the house that I grew up in. And so great school. 
fun school, whatever, you know, a lot of, a lot of good times, uh, you know, may, maybe a little bit, you know, underage when I was you know, <laughs> going over there on campus. But so, you know, they go D1 and most of our lives, they've been essentially irrelevant, you know, actually ironically interesting story, Vin Baker played there. So that was like their big claim to fame played in the NBA. So they go to the NCAA tournament in 2021. It was the COVID year. They played Baylor in round one. Um, and that was the year Baylor won the national championship. And it was the, the school's first ever NCAA tournament. It's this feel good story. And then the school announces they're transitioning. I, I don't even know if you call it. They're, they're reverse transitioning out of D1 to D3. And so it's been this weird thing um, where basically, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't even know how to describe it. I think the school president is behind it. You know how these school presidents get, you know, it's all about the academics. Like, I, I'm sorry. I mean, I grew up near the campus. I don't think anybody is, uh, you know, sending their kids to University of Hartford because of the academics. But anyway, so they transition. They're, they're in the process of transitioning to D3 right after literally the signature moment of the entire university's athletics, you know, history or whatever. Um, by the way, we found out after the fact that um, the school president, you know, may, may have lied on his resume to get the job. Fun fact, he said he was in the Hall High Athletics Hall of Fame. Well, guess who else is a Hall High alum? You're looking at one right here. And unless they've added a wing to the school in the last two years since I've been there, there is no Hall High Athletics Hall of Fame. <laughs> so I bring it up to say, the, this is all true. You can Google it. Wow. So the president lies on his resume, but the work, everything's already in the works. And then prior to the season, and there was a real push to keep division one athletics and the powers that be just wouldn't let him. Um, and then, you know, two or three days before the season, the head coach resigns. Um, and you know, by that point, most of the relevant players had kind of already transferred out. Um, because, you know, obviously look, you know, you, you, you commit to a school to compete at the highest level and they can't. So it's actually honestly a pretty sad story. I didn't know they were ranked dead last in the net. Um, but, you know, they had a really, I don't know if it was a good thing going, but it was a, a respectable thing. Like I said, they made the 2021 NCAA tournament. And it was literally probably two or three weeks after the tournament um, that the school announced that they were, you know, uh, you know, reverse engineering a transition to D3. And, uh, and yeah, man, it's been crazy ever since Jeff Bagwell also played at university of Hartford for anybody who, uh, you know, anyone nice. who wants to drop fun trivia at their next, uh, you know, their next big social gathering. So yeah, I'd say Jeff Bagwell probably more likely to have been in his high school athletic hall of fame sure. as opposed to president yep. uh, at Hartford. Yes. Hey, it's so true. You can Google it. I, I, I love it. I knew you would know the story. So I wanted to throw that to you. Um, these the contrasting trends in college versus the NBA, this is sort of a year of the big man in many respects in college basketball. And the big man, traditional big man, is all but extinct now in the NBA the way the game is played. Uh, how long do you think this can last in terms of that contrasting style where guys ultimately obviously want to go play in the NBA? And do you like that part of college basketball this year with some notable... Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. 
big men playing with their back to the basket like it's 1985 all over again? Well, you know, what I think is pretty cool, honestly, is kind of this, you know, NIL coming in at the right time where, you know, even literally probably two, three years ago, you know, a lot of these guys that are back, Sheepway and, um, you know, Hunter Dickinson and whatever, they probably just would have gone overseas or they, they would have tried to get an NBA contract. And if it didn't work out, would have played a year in the G League, whatever. So, you know, I think we talk a lot about, you know, the negative elements of NIL and all the, you know, Jimbo versus Saban, these guys, this school is buying this player and this school decommitted and what actually really happened and why did this guy go here? And, 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 you know, I think there are some positives when NIL is coming into place as it was intended, which was, you know, you, you go to a school, you compete, you make money uh, for the school and you are repaid by being paid handsomely as a college athlete. And so, you know, I'm not one that, I, I mean, I don't really care if a, 18 year old high school player gets paid before he earns anything or whatever. But I just bring it up because like the, why there are so many like good big time, big men in college basketball chat is just because of NIL where a lot of these guys, I I think would have had to consider other things and it's, it's been well documented, but you know, Oscar Shibway, even despite some of his limitations in NIL, because he's a foreign student um, you know, my understanding is he, Drew Timmy has said publicly on the record, he's making more money as a college basketball player than he realistically would have as a professional this year. So, you know, I I don't know if that's like a continuing trend where, where it's only big guys that stay in college basketball. But I think for this specific year, it's worked out really well where there's four or five guys that I think, you know, anybody who kind of at least loosely follows college basketball, at least recognizes that's back this year. Still two, two, by the way, in the world cup for you with uh, Netherlands and Argentina. Okay. So, uh, and you did see the you. big upset, right? Croatia beats Brazil. Oh, I did. Brazil, Brazil out. That Croatia moves one. on. Aaron Torres yeah, has been our guest. I don't know guest. anything oh. about soccer, but <laughs> no, I don't know anything about soccer. Well, hey. But it was like Brazil was in complete control. Argentina was in complete control. So, Aaron, you're on the right show. If you know yeah. nothing about soccer, you've come me, to the you've come to the right place, my friend. What I want to know is, and I said this this morning after Brazil lost. Is there gonna is there like a, a message board in Brazil with like a coaching hot board right now? Like, is it one of those like Brazil's coach is getting fired on the tarmac in Qatar and has to find his own way home? That that's what I want to know about how soccer really works. Because that, that what is what is the thought. Brazilian version of KSR or VolQuest in the general's quarters <laughs> yes. where people get on and vent? I would love to read all of yes. that in Portuguese right now, uh, their national language, that's and see what's there happening. There must be right. Yeah, Again, no, I, I'm with I know you. nothing about great. soccer, but it feels like all all these big national teams. I, I I don't know who's lost and who's won at this point, but it feels like there's been a lot of teams that were expected to advance further. I've and by the way, there's got to be some, you know, I don't know. I guess Deion Sanders equivalent out there in international soccer that's going to have his pick of like four different jobs because all these all these countries are just pissed off that they didn't go as far in the World Cup as they thought. So you, you think they uh, they burn couches like they do in Lexington? Uh, I think they burn cities. <laughs> I don't think they burn. I think it goes beyond couches. I think cities in these uh, countries will burn tonight yes. because of this. Yes. Someone will pay. That's what I know. Eric, uh, great stuff, man. We always enjoy your work and appreciate you taking the time. All right. Thank you both. Have a great afternoon. Thank yeah, man. you. Aaron Thanks, Aaron. Torres there, uh, Fox Sports Radio, uh, discussing college hoops. He does much more than that and uh, hopefully a, a frequent guest here on the program. Coming up, we will switch gears. We head to the NFL. We preview the top matchups of Week 14 
And uh, a little bit later this hour, we'll tell you the NFL injury report, which includes a couple of quarterbacks and one of the top running backs right now in the league. It's next on Outkick 360. Glad you're with us. Friday edition. Outkick 360 rolls on. Hudner Withrow with you. Sixth and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad, week 14. Got the buys this week for the Falcons, Packers, Bears, Colts, Saints, Commanders. It's the last bye week of the season before the stretch run. Anybody else just surprised to see bye weeks at all at this point in the year? <laughs> Every time I see them, I know they're yeah. still happening, but I'm like, man. Well, it's, it's a late it's bye like, There have been some buys where um, only two teams. And wh- the, the reason why I think some, some weeks have been heavier with teams than others is there were two different games in London, and I, I believe Ger- yeah, Germany as well, um, where the teams elected to come back and didn't have their bye immediately after. I think that's right, um, especially London. I know that happened a couple of times. Normally, you take the bye after the international game. And there are a couple of teams that just chose not to do that, a handful of teams. Uh, Jets and Bills, one of our games to watch in our key NFL matchups. And again, uh, you can check out all the spreads by going to outkick.com slash bet. Jets, Bills, Bills favored by 10. And this is a Jets team that a handful of weeks ago beat them with Zach Wilson. And now they have Mike White playing better quarterback than Zach Wilson. And this is not just some, you know, scrub Jets defense. I'm intrigued by it based on the spread. Um, and, of course, the Bengals are much healthier. That's the, that's the other key here. Uh, or Bills are much healthier, excuse me. And they're running the football better. I think and they're, it still goes through Josh Allen on the, on the, on the ground. But, Chad, they are getting more production out of the backfield. And, and I think the perception is they're not, not trying to run it unless it's Allen taking off. I think they've got to get more balance there. And they're starting to see that, uh, especially with um, Singletary, uh, who's, who's playing better. And, yeah. and Cook. Yeah, Devin Singletary's been good. I'm looking at the, uh, the forecast in Buffalo. Okay. Uh, 75% chance of rain slash snow. 12-mile-per-hour wind. Low of 29, high of 40 This is on Sunday. So you're going to get what meteorologists like Davey Hudson like to call a wintry mix. That's what we're going to have in, in Orchard Park on Sunday. I guess that plays into the Bills' favor, but I'm not really I, sure. Yeah. Because they're a double-digit favor. I think that's a big line for I this game, too. quite yeah. frankly, when I saw that. So I immediately started looking into the well, weather, and it looks like there could be some not terrible weather for Buffalo this time of year but some weather on Sunday for this game. Josh Allen uh, just, had his, uh, f- just has his uh, fifth game without an interception against the Patriots, but uh, he committed that what t- uh, fumble, that turnover. Um, the Bills, though, are s- starting to really utilize the running backs more. And again, um, the combination of the two is really, if you look at their individual stats, it doesn't jump off the page to you, but they're combining for 100 yards plus, and it's not... Allen necessarily always getting that. The key, the key with the Jets, too, they were just one for six in the red zone against Minnesota a week ago. But they put up 450 yards. And I know the Bills are much better defensively than Minnesota, but this is not the same Jets offense that beat them a couple weeks ago, Chad. No. Mike White, he's, he's slinging it now for the Jets. Yeah, it's, it's intriguing. And uh, also, we'll, we'll get to this um, with the Chargers a bit later in our preview. But Chargers-Jets battling for that final spot uh, uh, 
great matchup between the, the Dolphins and the Chargers as well. Well, the Chargers need to beat Miami, and the Jets need to beat the Bills. Browns and Bengals. Um, Davey and I, at the very end of the day yesterday, we're going back and forth. What was the other game, Davey? We, I, I, I said, let's put Browns-Bengals on here. Bengals are back in the, the mix for the AFC North because Lamar Jackson is injured. What was the other game we were choosing between? Uh, Vikings-Lions. Yes. And, of course, the Lions are playing great football recently. But the Vikings, they've wrapped up that division. You know, they're so far ahead. So I said, let's, let's check this out because this is the division battle right now between Baltimore and Cincy. And another week with Deshaun Watson, who's clearly rusty against the Texans. Here he is facing off against Cincinnati, who is, you know, they've got Jamar Chase back. Joe Mixon should be back in the mix. Uh, we'll get the full injury report coming up, but they're going to sling it all over the, the, the Browns defense. And the question is, can Watson show up? And again, the spread's five and a half. It's intriguing to me. And they're battling Baltimore for the top of the division. Baltimore, who won 10-9 over Denver a week ago with, with Huntley at quarterback. It sounds like Huntley's going to be the guy again this week um, with what Harbaugh, Harbaugh all but said that it's Huntley that's going to, to get the play there. I think this is AFC bias by you guys. I think uh, Detroit-Minnesota is more interesting because we talked about that line with Buffalo being out of whack. I, the, mm. the line throws me off in that game. I mean, Cincinnati as an almost touchdown favorite makes sense at home over the Browns. Now, the added element of Deshaun Watson, I think, adds to this matchup. It would be a difficult choice. I like that Lions-Vikings matchup a little bit better. Hutton, I'm just interested to see what what is, you know, the old adage about the football team, especially in college, your biggest improvement is from what? Week one to week two for a football team. What is the improvement level for Deshaun Watson knocking the rust off in Houston in a win where he was terrible, but they were able to win pretty easily without scoring a single offensive touchdown? How much can you improve in one week? And now going back on the road in this game. And he's been practicing for a few weeks here. It's nothing like the games and getting in game speed and game action. So does that game help him at all? I'm not expecting – that's why I'm not starting him on my fantasy team this week. I'm not expecting a huge jump in production, but I expect him to be better than what we saw, even against a better defense with Cincinnati. Since he has not been good in the division, they've lost three or four games against division opponents this year. Um, Keep that in mind. And um, Burrow, though – I mean, I'm not betting against him right now. 16 touchdown passes, three interceptions in the last seven games. And a, a good, a, a pivotal moment for Cincy. Win, handle this game. Eagles are taking on the Giants, favored by seven as they take on New York. Giants are coming off the tie, and they're squarely in the mix for a wild card uh, berth. But they've right now they would be the sixth seed in the NFC. And here are, here's Philadelphia coming off victories over Green Bay and Tennessee and the exact mirror opposite of the reverse image, run game, pass game. And the Giants have to figure out a way to get Saquon Barkley going. And they have to figure out a way to protect their quarterback against Philly. This, so for the Giants, Philly, it's just, are they going to continue to steamroll along? But coming off the tie... Is it going to be the Giants or the Commanders? I think one or the mm-hmm. other, not both, obviously. And they meet next week. This is such a big opportunity for the Giants to, I mean, knock off 
who is the best team in football right now? The Eagles at home. And to respond from that tie at home a week yes. ago, it's a great moment. It's a great, uh, I think, sort of crossover time for the Giants from being nice, fun story early in the season to, oh, this team may not only get in the playoffs, but they could win a game once they get in the playoffs. You could show something like that with a win over this Eagles team this weekend. This is going to be fun to watch. The O-line for the Giants, I feel like, should be able to get the run game going better than what we saw from Tennessee a week ago. Um, But this is an Eagles defense where the perception is you can run on them, and the numbers would show that. But they have done a really good job against the Packers rotation. They did a good job against uh, Dalvin Cook earlier in the year. And, of course, with, uh, with Derrick Henry last week. So can they get Barkley going? That's, that's the matchup because, I mean, it, uh, they, Philadelphia's offense over the last two weeks, they've tallied nearly 1,000 yards combined. Not bad. Like 950 or something. I mean, not it's bad. Crazy. Um, also not bad. Buccaneers on the road against San Francisco where Brock Purdy gets the start. We mentioned this yesterday. San Francisco's favored by three and a half. Tom Brady has only been the underdog head-to-head with rookies twice. Vince Young in 2006, and now Brock Purdy Sunday afternoon in the 435 time slot. If we're going seven degrees of Kevin Bacon style, there also has to be some sort of connection between Brock Purdy and Vince Young that we've yet to uncover, and I'm sure there's something along the lines well, uh, throughout the years of that. You know, Iowa State's in the Big 12. Texas is in the Big 12. Someone's uncle or cousin had to have gone head-to-head uh, with Vince <laughs> Young for Brock Purdy. we got to make that connection at some point. I love that factoid about Brady only being an underdog twice to a rookie quarterback and now Brock Purdy being the second one. If we are to believe that the 49ers are seemingly quarterback-proof mm-hmm. in that they can go from Trey Lance to Jimmy G to Mr. Irrelevant himself, Brock Purdy, and not really miss a beat because of their play design, their offense, and most importantly, their defense and coaching with Kyle Shanahan, this is a big test in that direction. And for Tampa... Can they string something together at any point this season? It is constantly one good thing, two bad things. Maybe a good thing and a half, and then another bad thing happening for Tampa. They, they can't get any momentum going in this season. Does that comeback win over the Saints propel them to something better in this game? They are. And they get their crack at you know a, a rookie, third-string third quarterback. They are 28th. In scoring this year, the Bucks they're averaging just eight, just over 18 points per game. And they have scored more than 22 points once all season. This is a San Francisco defense that has allowed 57 points over their five-game win streak combined. It's, it's, it's a massive struggle offensively. The, I mean, the, the silver lining, I guess if you're looking to stay on the positive end of this, Leonard Fournette's back, and he came back last week, but he's back in the mix, and they should be able. Uh, they, I could say this all year. They should be able to run it better than what they have. But he is a scoring machine in the red zone for Brady. Uh, so is, I mean, somehow he always gets the most out of just some role players, especially at tight end. Yeah. Well, t- Tom Brady, he gets the most out of anyone who is willing to put in the work. He loves San Francisco, too. Yeah. You know, he's his idol. 
Montana. He, Brady will get the most out of anyone who works to his level and will work with him to that level, regardless of where they were drafted or if they were drafted at all. He seems to get the most out of overachievers throughout his career because he's one. Chad, you know, my, one of my upset picks, Sunday Night Football, this game was flexed in, and it's, um, I'm intrigued to see Tua Tagovailoa against the Chargers defensive front, but we know the Dolphins are favored for a reason here. Uh, the combined record of the four teams that have beaten the Dolphins is 33-15. and 15. I mean, they've lost to some really good teams. The Chargers are not one of those, but this is a Chargers team with expectations. And I said I'd circle back to the Bills-Jets. It's an intriguing matchup from earlier in the day to Sunday night football because if the Jets fall to the Bills, this is now a Chargers team at 6-6 six and six where it's a total struggle. They, they should be in the postseason based on where they are. Year three with Justin Herbert, the expectations of getting healthier at wide receiver now. But their defense continues to let them down. The Chargers have lost four of their last six games. They've averaged just just under 22 points per game in those six games. This is an offense that do, should do far more, even with some of the injuries they've sustained. Keenan Allen coming back, but uh, Mike Williams continues to be on the injury report. But Chad, even with the loss of the Raiders, the Chargers are still in the playoff hunt. And it's because of the back-to-back games they have now. Miami and then Tennessee, and both are at home. Chargers are dead if they lose this game. I think this is do or die time for them. Unless, I mean, it, it is it is time for them to step up. Well, unless the Jets lose too. I, I know that mathematically they're not eliminated, but that needs to be the urgency with this group. They don't seem to be a group that has a lot of that. This needs to be the circle the wagons game for them. They're at home. They're a slight underdog. Chance at a big conference win in the AFC mm-hmm. over a really good Dolphins team. I'm tired of hearing about the Chargers until they start winning games like this. They need to go out and win this game. Period. And they're averaging, and I'm betting with you on that upset. Well, they're I'm, averaging six points less per game than they were a year ago, and that's just—I mean, Staley and everyone involved there—they've got to pick up the pace. There it goes without saying they've got one of the top fantasy scoring running backs with Eckler. I mean, out of the backfield because they've been banged up. He's picked up production in the past game, but he was—I mean, he's—he's he's very versatile. And they need some other guys to step up. Davey, what do you what do you think of the overall rundown of the top games? Uh, well, first off, I want to add, Chad, you're talking about the Vikings and the Lions. If the Vikings win or tie, they will clinch the NFC North. So you got that going for you there. Uh, the Eagles at the Giants. The Giants, even though they started off, I believe it was six and one. They're one mm-hmm. three and one in their last five. That one win is against the Houston Texans. Not exactly the best of the best. And then finally. Uh, Talking about the Chargers and the Dolphins, the big thing for the Chargers is this game's probably going to be like 50-50 for the crowd. Dolphins travel well. You look at the Chargers, they've had issues getting their fans to show up, and they've only won two games at SoFi this year. It's actually interesting. The Seahawks, the Rams, and the Chargers each have two wins at SoFi this season so far. And it's it's one of those stadiums where I think you can – certainly travel and have a, a home field not a home field advantage well, but against can, the chargers especially yeah. oh yeah you it's not a it's not a chargers town they're accustomed to uh, playing in front of everyone else's fans for most of their games um, hopefully too his ankle's good because uh 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Armando said he's he's good to go. We'll get the full injury report straight ahead. So, big NFL story from earlier this week. Titans general manager John Robinson fired. Unprecedented move midseason for a team that under his guidance, under his managerial style, whatever you want to call it, never had a losing uh, record. And they're not probably not going to have a losing record this year. They're leading their division. And Amy Adams Trunk fired her GM. Well, Amy Adams Trunk finally has spoken. Teresa Walker of the Associated Press sat down with Amy Adams Strunk about 10 minutes ago and talked about the decision to fire her GM, John Robinson. We can discuss a little bit when we come yes, back. Yes, and give some details on some of the biggest questions we've had with all of this. That's straight ahead on Outkick 360. Ravens head coach John Harbaugh has confirmed to reporters that Tyler Huntley is trending towards starting on Sunday against the Steelers. Lamar Jackson, he will not be able to go with the the knee injury. Saquon Barkley questionable with a neck issue against the Eagles. Uh, that's one to watch as we preview whether or not they can they can run the football there. There, uh, let's see, Leonard Williams is doubtful, and Adoree Jackson is also ruled out again for another week. Just a couple of the uh, injuries there. Continuing through, Trevor Lawrence, questionable against the Titans, is a toe issue. He was limited in practice today. And the other big... Oh, uh, Mike Williams. I mentioned this about the Chargers. He is not on the injury report. So they've, they're going to be healthy as they take on the Miami Dolphins on Sunday night football. Some drama in the, uh, the World Cup. We'll update that as uh, we continue in hour number three. But Chad... Uh, Teresa Walker from the Associated Press had the chance to sit down with Titans owner Amy Adams Strunk, where some of the comments and the, the story, according to Teresa, will be posted soon. The comments made include the fact that she had made up her mind to fire John Robinson prior to the Philadelphia Eagles game. So um, she wanted it clarified that he was going to be fired prior to A.J. Brown going off. She also clarified that Mike Vrabel had nothing to do with it. It was her decision. And that uh, moving forward, she doesn't care if she has to wait until after the Super Bowl if there's a candidate that she wants to interview for the general manager position that's currently with a team that is participating in the Super Bowl. But in her answer, she mentions that she's not expecting this team to win in the postseason. She's just like us. It's and not just with her answer, and um, good job by Teresa Walker getting this interview, um, not just with her answer, Hutton, but also with her action. Mm-hmm. I mean, by doing this now, you're not even allowing for the possibility that this team wins the division and goes on some magical run in the postseason. Look, you get into the tournament, you could do something. I don't think they can, but I'm on the outside looking at this situation. I don't think Mike Vrabel... And that locker room sitting around saying, boy, we're going to lose by 30 points in any playoff game we play. I mean, they're going to do everything they can to win games and win games in the playoffs. So that part of it's a little weird. And, and 
Amy Adams Strunk in one of her answers even says, if we have to wait on a team that's in the Super Bowl to talk to someone about GM spot, I'm thinking, you're leading your division. You any well, any consideration to your team being one of the ones in the Super Bowl? I, I, that would have been my follow up question. What I if bet, you're in the Super Bowl? I'm, I've been a hardline stance on we'll judge this team in the postseason, but this team is. You can tell this team is not where it was even a year ago. They're so banged up, and they still were the number one overall seed in the AFC. And I mean, to to, to Robinson's credit, and again, uh, it's Vrabel's credit. It's everyone. They advance past Cincinnati if their quarterback doesn't throw three interceptions. That's what it came down to as they finally got healthy. But Strunk is saying we're, Robinson was out, and she didn't care if they were going to play what? Six, seven, eight more games? Yeah. Um, that Robinson was going to be fired, and, he, and she said, I, I just wanted to go ahead and make the move now because it was fair to everyone involved, and I had made up my mind. I wanted him gone. It's a, a clarification a, a few days late with a ton of speculation that they were not willing to put to rest until the sit-down. So incredible drama going on in the World Cup right now between Argentina and Netherlands. We'll probably have to update you when we come back from break, but they're in the second round of penalty kicks. Mm -hmm. And at one point, Argentina had hit all three of their first three going to five in penalty kicks. Netherlands missed their first two penalty kicks. And since then... Netherlands has gone three for three, and Argentina missed one. So everything that needed to happen to come down to one kick to decide who's moving oh. on in the World Cup has happened after it looked like Netherlands was completely dead in the, this, the second penalty kick round. Great drama just with the slow gonna, motion shots of the players. And can fans. they do it in 10 seconds? Are they going to kick this in 10 seconds? I think he's going to milk it. Oh, I don't know. In five. Four, <laughs> He's three. not going yet. Y'all will tell you next break. <laughs>